I want to ask you, if you were to think of, you know, biblical figures, especially Old Testament figures that you might would think are important and like very, very crucial, who would be on your list? Who would you think of? Start, tell, tell people around you right now. So in our room, we have Abraham and Isaac and David. Um, you know, we have some of those, uh, you know, the, the ones with more popular stories probably come to mind. Uh, ones maybe like Samson, uh, people like that uh, might come to mind. Um, Adam, you know, Eve, uh, Noah, you know, these are, these are ones we think of and we think, oh, well, yeah, they were, they were kind of a big deal. They were really important in, uh, in the whole story. Um, and then uh, our passage today really focuses on, on one guy um, that uh, almost seems like a footnote. Um, this guy, he shows up in three verses in, uh, in Genesis 14, and it kind of just seems like he just pops into the picture and out of the picture, and then that's the end of it. Like, it doesn't seem like, it's like, oh, okay, that happened, good to know. Uh, but then our writer of Hebrews here picks up on this guy and this story and fully develops more about this guy and what his implications are and how that relates um, to Jesus. Uh, because the only other time before our author of Hebrews picks this up is we saw in Psalm 110 um, that, that David talked a little bit about this guy named Melchizedek. And so it's about a thousand years from when Melchizedek has this interaction with Abraham, which Abraham makes our list. Uh, but what we're going to see in today's passage is maybe, just maybe, Melchizedek is an even bigger deal than Abraham. Um, and for a Jewish audience, that's like heresy for me to say. But that's what our author is going to get to uh, here in Hebrews. And so it's pretty controversial stuff that he's bringing up here. But yeah, so it's like a thousand years from when Melchizedek uh, interacts with Abraham until David uh, writes Psalm 110 and explains uh, about Psalm 110. And then another thousand years or so, and then we have the book of Hebrews. And so it might seem that Melchizedek is not that significant um, of uh, an individual, um, and so, uh, but when we look at it back through history, he's very, very significant. Hold on a second. My son is raising his hand on the front row, and I don't know what he wants. Yes, son. Okay, yes. Uh, he said something about Satan being a big deal, but Jesus is stronger. So uh, anyway, now that we handled that, we're going to move forward. Um, so Melchizedek. Uh, we might look at him and think, oh, he's not that big a deal. He's not that important or whatever. Um, but what we can see as we look at, it, at, at the way this is handled today is maybe, just maybe, God does not classify people as significant in the ways that we do. And so maybe today you might be struggling with what is your significance or what is your importance. You might feel like maybe you're just a footnote to God. But in reality, God might be doing something very, very important through your life and very, very significant. And so, so let's look at, um, at our, our story here. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 7. And uh, you might remember back in, in Hebrews 5, uh, we started seeing him comparing uh, Melchizedek to uh, Jesus. 
Um, and so we see uh, that uh, as we talk about Melchizedek, he's, he's bringing up this same topic. He's bringing up uh, the same uh, concept. And so he's saying here that in chapter 5 we saw that he's talking about uh, Jesus being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, and we looked at the significance there of with Melchizedek, we see him being both a priest and a king. And we already looked at how Jesus, being in the order of Melchizedek, is able to hold both that king role, but also the priest role. So we already saw all of that, so we won't focus on those parts today. Uh, but the author then took a little hiatus from this topic and went into all the things we saw in Hebrews 6. And then back in Hebrews 7, we, we circle back here to Melchizedek once again. So I'm going to read our passage And as I read it, I'm just going to make notes about what it's saying about Melchizedek. Um, And then what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to work through it, filling in Jesus in the place of Melchizedek. Okay? So, Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 1. For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So that's the first thing we see is that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. And so we see about Melchizedek that he was known for righteousness and peace. He goes on, verse 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now this verse can be kind of confusing because if we take this very literally, it sounds like Melchizedek is just like this being that just kind of shows up out of nowhere, um, which isn't the case. Like like he was a a man, um, and what we can know about that is he had a father and mother, Uh, So what's the author of Hebrews saying here? What he's saying is when we look at this character in the story, it's kind of like, boom, he just shows up. Boom, he's just there. And, And the importance of his role, the importance of his figure is not contingent on uh, the fact of who his parents are. It's not contingent on any genealogy. You see, what he's about to get into here in a minute is comparing that priesthood with the Levitical priesthood. And so the Levitical priesthood was all based on who your parents were. And even within that, the Levitical priests, they had a a certain time period that they would serve for. Uh, Most would serve from the age of 25 to 50. Um, So they had a 25-year term. uh, That was kind of their term of service. Uh, but with Melchizedek, what we see is there's no beginning or end to his ministry. It's just kind of like, boom, here it is. And so we will see in a minute how that compares to Jesus, of course. So Melchizedek's priesthood was not limited by genealogies or term limits. Verse 4, See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham. 
and blessed him who had the promise. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, ties are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, that can get really confusing. Um, And what he's saying here totally made sense to a a Jewish audience um, who saw everything in family lines and lineages and uh, blessings being all related to family trees and all of this kind of stuff. And and if you have that kind of mindset, then it makes sense when he says, um, actually, Melchizedek was better. He's superior to even Abraham. And now any Old Testament scholar would say that that Abraham was like, he's the chosen one. He was chosen. Like God chose him. God blessed him. God made all these promises to Abraham. And that's what everything that the Jewish people from then on was based on, was on how great Abraham was and the faith of Abraham and the righteousness of Abraham. And then here, the author of Hebrews is rocking the boat and he's saying, hey, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. For someone to bless someone else, that means that they are superior. The superior blesses the inferior. And so he's saying, hey, Melchizedek was actually a bigger deal than Abraham. Hey, you know, you've got your whole Levitical priesthood, the whole Levitical system, um, and all the Levites and all of that, and all the way that that is supposed to work. Um, But actually, if you follow the family tree back, you're basing all of that on a family tree. If you follow the family tree back, it all goes back to Abraham, and Melchizedek is better. Melchizedek is superior. Melchizedek was superior to Abraham and the Levitical priesthood. That's what we see here. Now, Let's go back and discuss these things in relation to Jesus now. So Melchizedek, as a priest, he blessed Abraham. Um, This is the big point out of this. But I want to ask you, how much more does Jesus bless us? I mean, when you read the story in Genesis, it, it kind of it almost seems like, you know, Melchizedek and Abraham are like almost passing on the road. Like Mel- Abraham's coming back uh, from this battle. Uh, Melchizedek's there. He meets him. He hears how the battle uh, went and everything. And as a priest, king, Melchizedek then blesses Abraham. And then Abraham, uh, in response, gives this tithe, the tenth of everything for the spoils of war to him. And then Abraham goes his way, is the way it kind of reads. Um, it doesn't seem like there's this big prolonged interaction with them. They likely knew each other. They lived in the same region. Um, but as far as the story reads, that's kind of it. That Melchizedek just had this little interaction with Abraham and blessed him. But I want to ask you, how much more does Jesus bless us? Early in their service, you heard from Derek as he shared about the greatest blessing of all, the blessing that Jesus gives us in hope for eternity, 
the blessing that Jesus gives us in salvation, the blessing that he gives us in dying on the cross for us, and the blessing he gives us in the fact that he rose from the dead. The blessing that we can have in faith in him and what he's done for us. But his blessings for us go far beyond that. When you understand that that Jesus is sovereign, he is in control, he does own it all. It all belongs to him. He created it all and it's all under his reign. And when we look at the, the good things in our lives, we should look at them and say, wow, look how he's blessing me. Look what he's done for me. And as we look at those blessings, we get an opportunity to just rejoice. And in the time that we're in right now, globally, locally, in our church, in family lives, in everything, it's easy to focus on the negative right now. It's easy to focus on what we can't do. It's easy to focus on where we can't be. It's easy to focus on where, who we can't be with. It's easy to focus on the bad things that are happening. But I want to challenge you today to maybe flip that script. Maybe today what we need to do is focus on the blessings. Let's focus on the things that we can do. Let's focus on the ways we are blessed, the things that Jesus is doing for us. Let's celebrate those things. I challenge you today that if, you, if you're a part of a, a Christian family where you have fellow believers in your family, take some time today and just count your blessings together. Share with each other, hey, here's a way that God's blessed us. I hadn't thought about that lately. Look at this blessing. Look at the roof over our head. Look at the fact that even though we're in a global pandemic, we still have food on our table. Look at these blessings that God has given us. And as I was working on the sermon, uh, uh, an old song came to mind. Uh, and in fact, it's so old, I asked Brittany if she knew it. And she's like, I don't think I've ever heard this before. And on top of that, uh, the music uh, for it is also very old. Um, and so it sounds very old when you listen to it. But the words are golden to this song. Um, And so I challenge some of our musically gifted people that are sitting around uh, with nothing to do right now, uh, because you're locked in your house with your instruments, uh, to work on a new musical arrangement for this song, because we need need to bring this one back in a way that uh, is relevant to us. Um, It does use some old English. This was written almost 125 years ago. Um, And so back in the 1800s, this song was written. And I just want to encourage you with these words today. When upon life's billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, 
every doubt will fly, and you will keep singing as the days go by. When you look at others, others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven, nor your home on high. Amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You see, sometimes we just need to take a step back. And even though we might feel like we're in a storm and our life's many billows and that we are being tempest-tossed. See, we don't talk like that anymore. I love that, those words. But we're just, we might feel right now that we are discouraged and everything is going against us. But what we need to do is we need to step back and we need to look at things and we need to count our blessings. Count the many blessings and see what God has done. Because you see, in the way that Melchizedek blessed Abraham, Jesus blesses us in numerous ways. He blesses us in numerous ways. The next thing we saw there was that that Melchizedek was known uh, for his righteousness and peace. In fact, it was in his very name. Um, I'm one that, uh, that likes and uh, is interested in meaning in names. Uh, this was a, a, uh, a thing when we were naming our children. Uh, Rowan is actually named after me. He's Robert Wayne Campbell II. Uh, but we were trying to work on what to call him. And so Brittany came up with, we could put together Robert and Wayne into Rowan. And I was like, well, what does that mean? That didn't mean anything. What is that? Um, and then I looked it up, and it does mean something. Uh, Rowan actually means second harvest. And I was like, I like that. Um, because my prayer is that I want to see the Lord bring a harvest through my life. Um, but then I would love to see him bring an even larger second harvest through the life of my son, both in him personally and then in people that he impacts. And so I, I, I care about meaning and names. Um, now, when it comes to Harper, uh, Harper's name uh, means uh, someone who plays a harp. Um, and so we hope that uh, she gets her mom's musical abilities, not mine. Uh, but no, seriously, her middle name does have a lot of meaning. Uh, her middle name is Grace, um, which is what I already see coming from her life and uh, what we've seen um, in her, even from when she was in utero. And many of you know uh, Brittany's story of a uh, very tough pregnancy. Uh, with Harper. And so, so yeah, names have meaning. And so he's talking here about well, what Melchizedek's name means of righteousness and peace. But let's think about Jesus. Jesus's names, one of his names is the fact that he's the Prince of Peace. Another of his names is that he is the righteous one. Jesus himself is the very definition of these terms. When you want to think about peace, there's no better place to go than Jesus. He is the symbol, the picture of peace. When you want to think about righteousness, 
There's no better place to go than Jesus because he is righteousness. It's a beautiful thing. That Jesus is righteousness and peace. Well, the next thing we saw was about Melchizedek's priesthood, and it wasn't being limited by genealogies or term limits. Um, This was this whole talk about uh, his parents or lack thereof, and he didn't die and all of this. Like, no, that's not what what it's meaning here. It's saying that as a figurehead, as a symbol of a, a priesthood, his priesthood went on. And you say, well, how, how can the author of Hebrews interpret that out of Genesis? Well, he interprets that out of Genesis by interpreting it through Psalm 110, where, where David said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so the author of Hebrews is picking up on that, and he's applying it to the passage. And so it's interesting, we get to see here how uh, this biblical author interprets another biblical passage using another biblical passage. Um, and so that's, that's a cool thing for us to learn from, and that's how we can apply um, our approach to Scripture as well. As maybe there's something that's kind of unclear to us that we don't really understand, but then another passage really makes it clear for us, and then we can understand it and apply it to our lives. But that is a side note. The important note is that Jesus, his priesthood ultimately has no end. Because yes, he did die, but then he rose from the dead. He defeated sin and death, and he lives forever. And as Derek was reminding us earlier, that means that we have heaven to look forward to with him. And so in that, we can rejoice. In that, we can celebrate that Jesus' priesthood has no end because of what he did for us on the cross. And I want to ask you, have you come to him as your priest? Have you placed your faith in Jesus have you asked him to be your savior? Have you, have you told him, yes, I believe. I believe in what you did on the cross. I believe in the sacrifice that you paid for me. I believe in you. Yes, Jesus. Will you be my Lord? Will you be my savior? Will you take my sin and put it on yourself and what you did on the cross and pay for it so that I can be reunited with you and with God the Father for all of eternity? And in response to that, Lord, I, I don't want my sin to increase. I don't want to go on sinning so that I, I, there's more you had to die for. But instead, I want to turn from that and turn to you. I ask you, have you done that? Because that's the most important thing. Give your life to him. And you can do that today. You can do that right now. Because you see, the, the thing is... As he's talking about Melchizedek and Abraham and who's better, right? Like this, this seems like, you know, first graders like arguing on the playground about, you know, like my dog can beat up your dog um, kind of thing. Maybe that was just my playground. But anyway, um, you know, and so it seems like, yeah, he's better. No, he's better. Uh, but ultimately what we're seeing here is as he's, we know that what he's doing with Melchizedek is comparing him to Jesus. We know ultimately that Jesus is superior to all. Jesus is superior to all. He's over all. There's no comparison. Jesus is the top. He is far superior. And so when we think back about him blessing us, 
We're blessed not by some guy we met on the road that was a priest king, but we're blessed by our creator, by our Lord and Savior, the one who came and laid down his life for us. We're blessed by him. How much better is that? And so, to close out, I want to ask us, how do we respond to his blessings? What is your response to the blessings that Jesus has bestowed upon you? Did you catch what Abraham's response was? Abraham's response was he just had this big battle where he conquered a king who had just conquered these other kings. And he had the spoils of war from all of that. So these are pretty big spoils of war, I would assume. He's got all of this stuff. And Melchizedek blesses him. And Abraham's response is, I'm giving you a tenth of all of this. I'm giving you a tithe. You are a man of God. You are a priest of God. And so in recognizing the fact that I have won this war, it is by God's hand that this happened. I am giving to you a tenth of all of this. And then, as he points out here, that practice of giving a tithe or a tenth um, was then what was instituted throughout the Levitical priesthood, which this was God's design for how his priests were to be funded. His priests were to be able to focus their time and energy on uh, their priestly duties instead of taking care of crops or whatever to, to feed their families. That, that was God's plan for how they were to be provided for was that his people would bring a tenth of the things that he had blessed them with in uh, to the temple or the tabernacle, depending on the time period. And those would be their gift back to God for what God had blessed them with. Now, many of you see where this is going. And we don't talk a lot about money and giving here, but when it comes up in scripture, we do. Um, in fact, I think our elders might wish that I talked about it a little bit more um, because they tell me that. Um, but uh, it's important. And the reason that they want me to talk about it is because it is an important thing. Not just so that the church is funded, not just so that a ministry happens. We all firmly believe that God is the one who provides both individually in our lives, but also for our church. And we know that what we need, he's going to give us. He's going to take care of for us. But we also know part of the way that he does that is by his people giving to the ministry. And so what we're seeing here is this concept of the tithe. And I know that this seems like a very strange time to start talking about this or to be having this conversation um, because finances in our world today are something that are very uncertain. And when finances are uncertain, uh, the, the common sense thing to do is to hold on to, right? To pull it in, say this, this, is, 
that this is what I have. I have to make sure I have enough so that I can, I'm taken care of, so that my family's taken care of. Um, and so I don't know what next month's going to look like. I don't know how much longer my job's going to last. I don't know how this is going to go. I already don't have a job. Um, I'm already applying for all the different government programs so that I can figure out a way to feed my family, and I hear you. And that's a very real thing that's going on in our world right now. I've lost track of how many different government programs there are right now um, to help people and businesses and, and everything uh, make it through these times. Um, I was, uh, this past week, I was looking over a list of 20-something different programs that could possibly apply to a church um, and just looking at all these different things. And so I get it. I get it. We're in uncertain times. But I also want to challenge you on that. Because part of what giving does is it says to God, hey, Lord, I know and I have full faith and full belief that you are the one that provides I know no matter what's happening in this world, you can take care of me. And so because I can believe that, because I know that, because I know you are a God who blesses, then out of the way that you have blessed me, I want to bless others. I want to give in order to be able to bless others. And we, we might say, Things like, well, you know, I, I don't make enough to give, okay? You know, and, and in some cases that might be very legitimate. But I also want to challenge you that my experience is you can have that kind of mindset no matter how much you make. That it's, it's you can always have the mindset of I don't have enough. And if you're saying that, then you're kind of saying that to God, that God, you haven't taken care of me enough. You haven't blessed me enough. And so I need to hold on to everything I have and look out for myself. So I challenge you with maybe if you do focus on him and entrusting him and realizing what you do have is a blessing from him, even if what you do have right now is a check that's coming from the government. I want to encourage you that that government would not have anything to give you if it weren't for Jesus. He is sovereign over it all. And so even what you get from that method or another method, ultimately that's coming from him. And we can thank him for that and we can praise him for that. So how much should we give? Well, the principle here that the author of Hebrews is outlining is this 10%. 10% of what's received, they give on. It's called a tithe. And this is, has been a practice in the Christian church since this was written, uh, following the Old Testament practice that we see in the priesthood. That all dates back, all the way back to Abraham doing this. But the very important thing for us to notice about the story with Abraham and where the tithe first starts as far as Scripture goes, was nowhere was this commanded of Abraham. There was no word from God, there was no law or anything like that that dictated that, hey, Abraham, you have to give 
Now, yes, the Levitical priesthood later on, it was commanded that this is how much you should give. But when Abraham did this, he did this out of the goodness of his heart. He did this out of joy. He did this out of response for what God had done for him and in wanting to bless this priest who was blessing him. And so that's why Abraham did this. It wasn't out of a legalistic kind of thing. And when it comes to this topic, we can easily let legalism come in, which is not what God desires. And in fact, if if we're honest, um, this passage here in Hebrews is the closest thing um, that we have in the New Testament of of the New Testament ever uh, coming close to commanding uh, a tithe. Which it doesn't. It doesn't command us to give 10%. But what the New Testament is unanimous on is the fact that we're to give generously, that we're to give faithfully, we're to give regularly. And so what does it mean to give generously? Is it 10%? I found in my life that's a good starting place. For some, it might be more. For some, if if that just totally rocks your world and you're at 0% right now and you're like, no way can I do that, then I challenge you, start at 2%. Start somewhere. Start giving to the Lord and response to what he has done for you and the way that he has blessed you. Trust him. Trust him with your finances. I'll tell you, as a church, we practice um, a tithe. Uh, our church, 10% of what we receive from our local tithes and offerings, we then give to missions to advance God's kingdom throughout the world. And so even as a church, we practice this because we are wanting to put the same principles into place here. That we fully believe that what God blesses us with, we are in turn responsible for blessing others with and supporting his ministry and supporting his kingdom throughout the world. And so I encourage you to give. Um, Be a blessing to others. Be a blessing to God's kingdom. Give in a way that's advancing his kingdom. Because when you've experienced Jesus' blessings in your life, and you take time to count his many blessings and name them one by one, you're humbled And you just are left in a place of saying, I am so blessed by what God has done. My only response to that is give back to him what he has entrusted me with. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you that we do have the opportunity to worship you with our gifts to worship you with song, to worship you with looking at your word, to worship you in so many ways. But ultimately, we get to worship you as well through giving. And Lord, I pray uh, that as we learn that practice in our life, as we learn that discipline in our life, that you will continue to bless us and grow us even more in that area. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. And we've experienced your grace upon our lives.
We've experienced what it means to have Jesus poured out for us. Lord, what is there in response from us but to say thank you? Here, I want to give back to you out of what your many blessings that you've blessed me with. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.